I want to start by asking you a question that's hopefully going to pop up on the screen in just a moment. Thanks, Ben. The question is, what was the best gift you've ever been given? Maybe something's immediately popped into your head. Maybe you're having to go back in time over the years. What's the best present you've ever received from someone? Um, Why don't you turn to the person next to you, if you're not sat next to one, scooch on over and have a quick chat. What's the best gift? Think back and chat with the person next to you. Great. Well, let's come back together again. Uh, I, I tuned into conversation over here, and one of the gifts was, uh, Russ, I hope you don't mind me saying, was Lego. Lego's a good gift. That is, as particularly, you know, whether you're a child or an adult, Lego's a great gift to enjoy. Uh, anyone else want to share some of the, the best gifts they've ever been given? Yes. Go on, Joel. Jesus. Yes, it's a good answer. <laughs> Thomas, a tick in the box for you. Well done. <laughs> We'll be coming back to Jesus. Very astute of you. Well done, yeah. Any other gifts that have been kind of top of the pile, best present you've ever been given? What were you chatting about? Yeah, Greg. Uh, okay. I bet, very thoughtful. Obviously, the person knew you well, and yeah. There you go, there you go. Perfect. Any others? Coffee machine, yeah. Times two, says Tom. Essential to life is the coffee machine. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good gift. Well, there could be all sorts of things, can't there? Whether it's that, that experience type of gift, that the, you know, the friend or the loved one that gave it to you, they know you really well, that's a, a fantastic gift. Or maybe it's something practical, like babysitting for a month. Maybe that's just an amazing gift. Or the beautiful item of clothing or jewelry with Valentine's Day coming up tomorrow, maybe. Or maybe it's the device or the gadget that you've been wanting and waiting for for ages. Whatever it is, whatever gift that came to mind for you, whilst all those gifts were completely different, I imagine our responses would have all have been the same. The look of surprise, the huge smile, the wide eyes, and, well, that, that's that sense of joy. A sense of joy. And if the, the, the gift giver has done a really good job, maybe even tears of joy as well. Generous gifts never leave us unmoved. Or at least they shouldn't, should they? Think back to that present, that gift, again for a moment. Now imagine you've received that gift, maybe you opened it up, and you simply walked off. Think of the hurt and the confusion of the person who gave that gift to you. The thoughtfulness, the expense, the sacrifice on their part, and nothing. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Generous gifts should never leave us unmoved. Generosity should always be met with thankfulness. But the part of the Bible that we're looking at this evening, well, it shows us that's not always the case. As we turn to Luke's Gospel this evening and chapter 17, well, we'll see one of the best gifts ever given, topping even maybe Lego and coffee machines. In fact, I think it's probably the best gift that we could ever receive. But as we unpack these verses together, we'll see a mixture of responses from silent indifference to heartfelt, life-changing thankfulness. Well, let's look at those verses now together, and Russ is going to come and read Luke 17, 11 to 19 for us. Thanks, Russ. It's on page 1051 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. It's Luke 17... Verses 11 through to 19. 
Jesus heals ten men with leprosy. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Great, Ross. Thank you very much. I think this passage, this mini episode in the life and ministry of Jesus is just great. And so uh, we're going to be digging deeper into it this evening. Hopefully you can see the text on the screen. If you can't, maybe jump forwards a few. Don't, you know, hopefully Tom wouldn't mind some, some extra company. But hopefully you can all see that on the screen. And this mini episode, as I said, is just great. Because Luke is all about the detail. In fact, his attention to detail in these nine verses highlights to us just how generous this gift is and how we should be responding. Well, let's zoom in on those details together. So straight away in verse 11, Luke sets the background to this whole episode. And we see, if my clicker works, oh, no, there we go, fantastic. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's the first thing that Luke tells us. And it's actually something that he's been reminding us again and again of throughout his gospel account. Like a a mileage sign on the motorway. You're heading down the M1. London, 100 miles. London, 50 miles. London, 10 miles. Luke is signposting to us again and again where Jesus is headed. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In many ways, it's the the drumbeat, if you like, of Luke's gospel. And the further we go in the story, the faster that drumbeat gets. What's it all pointing to? Well, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross. The cross casts a shadow over everything in Luke's gospel account. And that's true here in this passage as well, as we'll see in just a bit. So that's the first little detail. Second detail, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, we see where he's traveling, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So he's on his way, and he's on the border between Samaria and Galilee. Well, the Samaritans and the Jews of Galilee, well, they did not get on together at all. And so we're in between places here. We're not in the heart of a thriving Jewish city as we often are in the Gospels. No, we're on the outskirts. We're in no man's land. And that's really important for our understanding of what comes next. Because it's here in no man's land that we find these ten 
lepers. And again, detail-orientated Luke doesn't miss a beat. What do we learn about these men? Well, they're lepers. A horrible, infectious skin disease that would have meant that they would have been forced to live outside of society. We read back in the Old Testament. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it's fighting me. <laughs> I don't know if we've gone too far now. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> we read back in the Old Testament that the Jewish law surrounding leprosy was this. The person who has had the bad skin disease, leprosy, will wear torn clothes and not cover the hair of his head. He will cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will be unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He will live alone. His home will be outside the camp. Did you get it? Unclean, unclean, unclean. And because of that, they will have to live outside of the camp. And that's exactly where these guys are. By Jewish law, they had to leave their homes, their friends, and their families. And that's why we find them outside of this village in no man's land. It's because they're outcasts. And we see in the next detail just how desperate and difficult their situation was as they have to stand at a distance from Jesus. Again, by law, they weren't allowed to even be near, close to people. And so here are these ten lepers, outcasts because of their disease, because they're unclean, standing meters away from Jesus, having to shout to be heard. And what is it that they shout? Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Pity. And they are pitiful, aren't they? Desperate, hopeless, cut off from society. And they call out to Jesus to have pity on them. And we get a real sense of the space in this passage, don't we? Here we are, in the middle of nowhere, and here's this distance, this great divide between Jesus and these lepers, between clean and unclean. How does Jesus respond? What will he do? Well, with just a word, he sends them on their way. He tells them to show themselves to the priests. That's something that they would only do had they been cured, had their leprosy been healed. I don't know what would have been going through their minds in that moment. As they turned from Jesus and headed back towards the temple in the village, perhaps they would have felt confused. Why is Jesus sending us to see the priest. Maybe there would have been a shred of hope for something. Perhaps they were doubtful, suspicious of anything that would seem to promise a better life for them. Well, whatever they were feeling and thinking, before long, one of them would have looked down and noticed that their arm, once covered in white sores, was completely healed. Flesh and skin restored. And he would have called over to his friends, look, look, I'm healed. The leprosy has gone. And in turn, the others would have looked and seen that it was true. All of them were healed. And where before they may have been walking to see this priest, well, now they start to run. They can't wait to get there, to show that they have been healed, to have their old lives back again. And so 
off they run to the temple. All except one. One stops and looks back and runs the opposite direction, back towards Jesus. And as he's running, he sees Jesus and he's praising God, shouting and shouting, thanking God for what has happened, for this miracle. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And it's a really beautiful verse. Have a look at it on the screen. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And it's all the more beautiful when we appreciate the complete transformation that has taken place. Let's unpack it in these verses. Where before we see this man shouting for pity, well now, what's he doing? He's shouting in praise. Praise to God. Before, where was he? Well, he's at a great distance from Jesus. Where is he now? Well, he's at the feet of Jesus, thanking him. Before he was unclean, now he is clean. And it's an extravagant response, isn't it? But it's a, it's a response that is simply an outpouring of the thankfulness that this man has for Jesus' generosity to him. The details in these verses that we've seen, well, they show us that Jesus brings complete transformation to this man. And in response, well, we see this heartfelt gratitude. He knows that Jesus has healed him. He has seen firsthand, on his own hands, just how powerful Jesus is. That simply at a word, he's able to heal him of this incurable disease. It's an amazing miracle. But what's almost more amazing here is the fact that only one comes back. Jesus asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Out of these ten lepers, only one returned to Jesus to thank him for what he had done. In some ways, that's the real shock here, isn't it? At, the point, at this point in Luke's gospel, we're, we're kind of used to seeing Jesus do amazing things, to doing miracles. And so I think in some ways, Luke, the writer of this gospel, is drawing our attention to the fact that only one returned, that nine didn't. And we feel that shock, don't we? Our reaction is to say, well, if I had that deplorable, damaging disease that cut me off from everyone else, that meant I was an outsider, that meant I was as good as dead, then I would definitely be grateful to the one who had saved me. Of course I would. And yet, we don't have to imagine. We don't have to, to place ourselves in the shoes of these lepers because the Bible says the reality of our own situation is the same as theirs. God's word makes it devastatingly clear that in our sin in the wrong things that we have said and done, in our very nature, we are spiritual lepers. God's word says we are unclean. There's lots of verses we could turn to to find this, but just a couple. It is sin that makes you unclean. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And our righteous acts, the good things that we do, well, they're like filthy rags. So the reality of our situation is that we are unclean. God's word says that we are outcasts, cut off not from society, 
but much worse, cut off from God. Ephesians 2 says, Remember, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, and foreigners to the promises, without hope and without God in the world. It's devastating. The reality of our situation is that we were outcasts, cut off from God. God's word says that we were dead. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Spiritually dead, eternally lost. Can you see the reality of our situations? How the plight of this leper is the very situation we found ourselves in. We are unclean. We are outsiders, separate from God, dead. Like these ten lost, lonely lepers, we are desperate, desperate for hope. But remember, there is hope here. Hope, because remember where Jesus is headed. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And it is through the cross, through Jesus' death, that we are made clean. Jesus takes onto himself our leprous-like condition. 2 Corinthians says this, God made him who had no sin to be made sin for us, so that we might become right with God. Jesus, the sinless Savior, becomes sin for us. Can't even begin to get ahead around that. He takes on our uncleanness on the cross. And on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He becomes an outcast. And on the cross, he dies, dying the death that we deserved. Also, that we could be made clean. So we could be made clean, so that we could be brought near and made alive, given new life, life forever in restored relationship with God. That is now our condition through the cross. As Jesus takes on our sin, our brokenness, we are made well. The cross means that we can, we can make Paul's words back in Ephesians our own, And we can put our own name there in that blank space. But now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, Steve, who was once far away, has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Take a moment to pause there and put your own name in that blank space. But now in Christ Jesus, who was once far away, has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Of Christ. Jesus, the sinless Savior, becomes sin for us. Think of who we were, our condition, and now what we have, how we have been brought near to God. And isn't that exactly what we've seen in these verses? the distance that the leper was once at and how he is now brought near to Jesus because of the salvation that he offers. And the beautiful thing here is that all those labels that once defined this poor man 
Well, they're washed away. Leper, unclean, outsider. No more. He is simply saved. Jesus says at the end of this passage that his faith has made him well. Because of his faith, because he simply recognizes Jesus as his saving Lord and King, he is well. And the same is true for us. All those labels that that we feel once defined us, whether it's how we saw ourselves or how others perhaps have labeled us in the past, well, those things that made us feel like unclean outsiders, those labels are gone. They are no longer true. If we are trusting in Jesus, if he is your Lord, your Savior, then we are made well. We are saved children of God, no longer distant strangers, but able to draw near to God with confidence. It leads us to conclude, how good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? How amazing is that salvation? It's the best gift. It's the best gift we could ever receive. And if you're a a Christian, a follower of Jesus here this evening, then you will have been given that best gift ever. Better than anything else we could ever get. How do we respond to the best gift ever? Well, I guess there are two ways to respond here, aren't there? The first way is to go with the nine. To go with the nine. Those nine lepers who didn't return. And and to respond to this gift that Jesus offers by living our lives largely unchanged. Seeing God and Jesus as some kind of glorified vending machine where we simply, we simply ask what we can get out of this. If that's where we find ourselves, then we need to, to, to wake up and realize that we're missing the real deal. If we're only in it for what we can get out then we're missing out on the very best. It's like settling with the, the taster rather than going for the main dish. This miraculous sign of Jesus healing these lepers was just that. It was a sign, a pointer, a, an appetizer to the real deal. And that real deal is Jesus as king, where one day he will rule over his perfect kingdom where there will no longer be any pain, any leprosy, any suffering, no longer any death. The nine left satisfied with the sign. They were satisfied with the sign and nothing more. But this passage, well, it pushes us to see what lies behind this sign. To be a follower of Jesus the King and not just to be in it for the perks. That's one way to respond with the nine. Or we can respond as we follow the example of the one. Like the one, we can recognize who we were, distant outcasts, cut off from God. We can recognize what Jesus has done, taken on our uncleanness and made us clean. We can recognize who we now are, that we are made well, that we can draw near to God. And in light of all that, we can go to Jesus, falling at his feet, praising God. As you reflect on what we've been thinking about here in Luke this evening, on, on, on the gospel 
as it really is, on the hope that we have as Christians, we can respond by shaping our lives in response to that extravagant thanksgiving. And what might that extravagant thankfulness look like for us? What would our day-to-day lives look like if we really recognize just what Jesus has done for us and, and who he is? Maybe a, a life stamped with gratitude would be one that sought to give. To give in light of all that we have been given. As we have this, this series of Sundays uh, thinking about giving, it's so important to see that before we can even begin to think about giving and all the great things that we can be doing together as a church and our communities, we need to first recognize again what God has given to us. We give because we have an immensely generous giving God. So what might it look like to give out of that heart of thankfulness? Well, there's no shortage of ways, are there, that we can be giving with our time, in our prayers, in how we serve, in what we're committing to and volunteering for, those rotors that our name appears on those hard conversations that we have, those questions we ask those who are struggling, how we get involved and participate in our life groups, at Snug, at Connect, at prayer meetings, seizing opportunities with friends and colleagues to speak about our faith, how we get behind the work in Thermiston, in Netherhall, with the Hub, how we use our finances. There's no shortage of ways that we can be giving. But... We are only ever truly enabled to give when we appreciate that we give out of our thankfulness. And that our thankfulness, well, that's rooted in what God has already given to us. So, as we begin to think about how we can respond, uh, I think it would actually be really helpful, as was popped up on the screen a little while ago, a bit of a pre-warning to you, to, to get really practical and if people are happy to, to get personal with this as well, to make it really real for us. Uh, And so it's over to you. As we think about Thanksgiving, uh, I think it'd be really helpful to reflect and to reflect together on what God has done and how that leads us to give in return. So I've got some discussion questions on the screen behind me. Um, I'll just read them uh, through and then I'll kind of go into how we can do this together. So, first question is, what are some of the things that you are most grateful to God for in your life? I think there'll be all kinds of things that we can be sharing, stories and testimonies of how God has been working in our lives over years or over the past few weeks, and it'd be great to encourage one another with that. What are some of the things that you are thankful to God for in the life of the church? I recognize that these two things might overlap, but it's great to think about us as a community here at St. Luke's, what can we be thanking God for in the past year, the past two years, or even longer as well? And then finally, how might these things spur us on to live, speak, and give differently? So just three questions to reflect upon, to discuss together. Uh, If you find yourself sat kind of by yourself, scooch on over and and find someone else to chat with. I'm going to give us a, a good five minutes to go through these three questions together and then uh, I'll draw us back together again. Thanks.
Great. I'm just going to draw your conversations to a close there. Um, you may have not gotten onto that green speech bubble just yet and thinking about how it affects us. I guess that's something to keep thinking about in the week ahead. But um, we've got a few minutes now. I just thought, again, it'd be a real encouragement to us in the life of the church. Maybe if one or two of us wanted to share um, a testimony, a story, something that they are particularly thankful to God for. It may have been from that blue or orange speech bubble box. Uh, it may be something completely different. But I've got a microphone here. Um, Roger, hopefully this is going to work for us. But would anyone like to share um, something that they are grateful for? Just wave and I'll, I'll run over. Yes, thank you, Dick. Great. We talked about how consistent and faithful God is and the fact that he's always, always the same. And that's in a world where everything seems to change and people change. That was a real encouragement. Yeah, it's a massive encouragement, isn't it? Um, spend five minutes on the news. I mean, to re- root ourselves back in there, don't we? That God, God never changes. Yeah, yeah. Anyone, anything else? Anything we could be thanking God for? Yeah, thanks, Russ. I think. Um, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's that He meets you where you are. You don't have to be special. Mm. And I think it's uh, sometimes we consider ourselves to be boring Christians. We haven't really got a testimony. <laughs> But we all have, and he meets us where we are. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, Jesus, you know, that guy was a Samaritan, that leper. You know, he's you know, nothing special in that culture, and yet, yet Jesus meets with him where he is. That's really helpful for us. Thank you. Anything else that people would like to share? Yeah, Lizzie, thank you. It's the orange box, is that okay? Yeah, it okay. is. <laughs> um, uh, we were talking about how we're thankful to God for our church family and how in the times when we're struggling or we're in need, something's going wrong, um, they're always there, you know, practically straight away and, and for practical things and prayerful things. So, um, yeah, thankful to God for our church family. Yeah, that's so important at the moment, isn't that? With, with lots going on, um, whether it's health stuff or just life stuff, um, I think for Sarah and I, that's definitely something that we felt as well, whether it's here at St. Luke's or over in Houghton or in Thermoston as well. We're just surrounded by Christian communities that are really supportive and it makes a huge difference. We're very grateful and thankful to God for that. Yeah, anything else um, before we wrap up and head into some more uh, praising God together? We're going to stop there. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Um, just one more heads up before I hand over to, to the band again. Um, you should have received a, a little thank you card on your way in this evening. Hopefully you did. Um, we can get one to you, hopefully, if you have not. Um, but I thought it would just be helpful, again, to have something tangible for us to go away with this evening, something that we can look at in the week ahead, maybe when we're feeling uh, less thankful, when we're feeling kind of the weight of life. Um, and so maybe over the course of these next two songs that we're going to sing together, just be thinking to yourself, what one thing do you really want to be thanking God for? Maybe it's something you've shared this evening. Maybe it's something else, perhaps more personal. Um, I think it'd be great maybe during the course of these two songs or or just afterwards to to jot that down in that thank you card. And again, you can make this your own. You can be addressing the thank you card to Jesus and in whatever way you want to address him, whether that's as Savior or as King of Kings or as Prince of Peace, a really helpful way to kind of be addressing that to God and for what he has done for us. And again, if it's helpful, you can then be signing that off, not just uh, with your name, but maybe with some aspect of our new identities, whether it's a child of God or made well, cleansed, whatever it is that's helpful for you. 
maybe jot a few things down as we sing these next two songs together. Thank you.